Like I said a moment ago, it's exciting to have uh, uh, Chris Moore here with us this morning. You guys are in for a treat. Uh, just a little bit about Chris. First off, he and I, we, we've been friends since we were really little. In kindergarten, I guess, or, or earlier than that. So we gave our uh, Sunday school teachers some grief when we were little, coming up through the ranks of church together. Uh, but uh, we've known each other for a long time, and, and uh, we actually served together at uh, Fellowship Bible Church in Fort Smith before me coming here. And he's now the, uh, the associate pastor at uh, First Baptist Church in Lindale, Texas. So he's just right down the road. So he and I, we enjoy getting to go meet for some Stanley's Barbecue every now and again. It's about halfway. So it's always a treat. Um, just a little bit about Chris. Uh, he got his uh, master's and, and doctorate from Southern Seminary in, in Louisville. And uh, super sharp, one of the most gifted teachers that I know. And I'm, I'm happy to have him here this morning. So y'all join me in welcoming Chris Moore. Thank you. Good morning. It's a joy to be with you here worshiping. I feel like I know you, even though I've never been here. This is my first time to be here. I think part of the reason why I feel like I know you is because I went on a mission trip with your church probably about six or seven years ago. Uh, Don and Jeff and Brent were on the trip, and Jim Wilson was also on the trip. And so I feel like I kind of have a partnership with you. In fact, the church that I used to serve, Fellowship Bible Church in Fort Smith, we do have a partnership with your church. We go to the same town uh, in, in Nicaragua once a year, uh, the same town that you go to, ministering to the same people. I also feel connected to you and your church. feel like I know you because I know your pastor so well. As Graham mentioned, we grew up together and... Um, and I value our friendship and our relationship. We served in ministry together. I enjoyed that time. And by the way, if y'all want or need any stories on Graham, I am the person to come talk to. The problem is that the sword cuts both ways, and he's got stories on me too. So I have to be uh, careful with, you know, how much I divulge. But, you know, if you need a good story on him sometime, if y'all ever have some kind of a roast or something like that, you let me know. Um, I'm the person to go to on that. He asked me to speak today. Because of this, what this coming Friday is. This coming Friday is October 31st. And that is significant. Not just because it's Halloween. It's significant because October 31st is Reformation Day. This coming Friday, October 31, will be 497 years since the Protestant Reformation formally, officially, effectively began. It was in 1517, October 31, when it's commonly believed that Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses on the church door in Wittenberg, and he was protesting the abuses of the church in his day. And from that moment, from those events, uh, the, the, the church has, has changed for the better. And I think, it's, I think it's appropriate for us to remember and honor this man and this movement, the man being Martin Luther and the movement being the Reformation, because this was a movement that helped restore the church back to the original teachings and practices of the New Testament. And the fact that we are able to experience New Testament Christianity today is in large part because God used this man and this movement. And so I think it's appropriate and right for us to honor him, remember him, and remember the movement. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at Luther's favorite book in the Bible. We're going to look at the book of Galatians. So if you would please turn in your Bibles to Galatians. 
Luther said of this book, he said, The epistle to the Galatians is my epistle. He says, To it I am, as it were, in wedlock. It is my Catherine. Catherine was the name of his wife. And so he's referring here to the Galatians as his wife. I'm sure she appreciated that, being compared by her husband to the book of Galatians. But we're going to look at this book, not just because it's Luther's favorite book. We're going to look at this book because it's God's word. And it's God's word for us, and it's God's word to us. So let me begin by reading Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Now Paul's letters follow a very standard format. When Paul begins his letter, he begins by giving the name of the the sender himself. So notice in chapter 1, verse 1, how Paul begins the letter. He says, Paul, an apostle. It's very standard for Paul's letters. He begins by telling the name of the person who's writing the letter. And then he will tell the name of the recipients of the letter. Look at verse 2. To the churches of Galatia. All right, so we have the sender, and then we have the recipients. And then the third common characteristic of Paul's letters is we have the greeting. We see it in verse 3. Grace to you and peace. Almost all of Paul's letters begin with this. Grace and peace. It's a, it's a greeting. And then what you will often see in Paul's letters next is you will see a prayer of thanksgiving. I'm thankful for you. Every time I remember you, I give thanks to God for you. And the prayer of thanksgiving is missing in the book of Galatians. And it's significant that it's missing. Paul does not have a prayer of thanksgiving for the Galatians. Instead, he's frustrated with them. And he's going to go right into his frustration. He's not going to take time to say, I'm so thankful for you, churches of Galatia. Instead, look at what he says. Look at verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and you are turning to a different gospel. He's frustrated with them because they're deserting Christ and they're turning to a different gospel. The NIV says, which is no gospel at all. I want you to notice that deserting the gospel is deserting Christ, according to Paul, according to God's word. To desert the gospel is to desert Christ. And this is the background. This is what's happened. Paul has been to these churches. He planted these churches. He preached the gospel. People responded to the gospel with faith, and churches were started. Then Paul left. He went on another mission trip. He went to start a church in another town. And after he was gone... These people came into the churches and crept up from within the churches and they started preaching something like this. You know, Paul's gospel is good, but it's missing some things. It's not sufficient. It's not enough. We need to add some things to Paul's gospel. And so they added some things and specifically they were adding some of the requirements that were required under the Old Testament. And in particular, circumcision. We see that throughout the letter of Galatians. So they're saying, yes, Paul's gospel is good, but it's just missing a little bit. It's, a little, it's not quite sufficient. We need to add some things such as circumcision. You need to be circumcised as well in addition to believing this gospel. And that might kind of sound like a minor thing to us. I mean, just 
I mean, is it really that big of a deal to believe in the gospel and get circumcised? I mean, is that really a major issue? Is this really a major problem, Paul? We're just talking about circumcision here. Why are you making such a big deal about this? But Paul says, this is huge. This is everything. To fail to recognize the sufficiency of the gospel is to abandon the gospel. To add anything to the gospel or to subtract anything from the gospel is to totally alter the gospel and is to totally abandon the gospel and therefore to totally abandon Christ himself. This is not a minor issue. We can tell by his language. Look at verse 8. Paul says, even if we, when he says we here, he's referring to the apostles. Even if we, the apostles, or even an angel, should come to you preaching a different gospel, let him be accursed. That word accursed means let him be placed under God's wrath and judgment and condemnation. If anyone were to come to you and preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we originally came to you and preached, Paul's even including himself here. He says, even if I come to you, And I tell you that I have some new revelation and it contradicts the message I originally preached to you. Let me be accursed. Consider me accursed. Do not listen to me. Paul says, even hypothetically, if an angel from God were to come to you and preach to you a message that is not consistent with the original message, the original gospel we preached to you, let the angel be accursed. Don't listen to the angel. Don't trust the experience. Go with the gospel. Go with the message that we originally preached to you. It is sufficient to, to add to it, to subtract from it, to not recognize its sufficiency is to abandon the gospel, is to abandon Christ himself. In case they missed the point, he repeats it in verse 9. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. My wife, Whitney, and I have been married for 12 years this coming December, December 14th. And Graham was actually in the wedding. Uh, He was one of the best men, the groomsmen in the wedding. And on that day that we got married, we exchanged vows. We made a promise to each other. We entered into a covenant. And we we basically said, I promise to give you my life. And and I'm going to love you no matter what. I'm going to love you in sickness and health. I'm going to love you to the end. I'm going to love you for better or worse. I'm going to love you until death departs us until death do us part right and so we're making a commitment an an unconditioned commitment i'm going to love you no matter what i'm committed to you no matter what imagine if i had come back to her maybe a few weeks later after we exchanged those vows and i were to say to her you know i'd kind of like to amend those vows a little right not any major changes just add to it a little bit here's some things i've kind of come up with i'd like to for us to kind of add some new vows in And here they are. In order for us to truly, you know, continue to be married for the rest of our lives, I'd like for you to agree to some things. I'd like for you to agree, first of all, to cook me breakfast every morning for the rest of our marriage. And I will remain married to you as long as you do this, right? And I'd also like for you to commit to cleaning my clothes and ironing my clothes every day. And and just one other little thing, I'd like for you to commit to mowing the yard and taking out the trash um, every week, right? We don't have to do every day that. We'll go week. And as long as you do these things then I will remain faithful to my original promise to you and I will remain married to you for the rest of our lives, right? I'm not, I'm not making a major change. I'm just adding a little bit to that original promise that we made. And uh, I just like to, um, I, I think, I think this, is, this is what's important to me. And, and in order for our marriage to last, this is what you need to do. How would she respond to that? What do y'all think? What do think? She would, you know, yeah, would not go over very well, right? To say the least. Because what I would be doing 
is essentially abandoning the original oath that we made. By adding to it, by suggesting that, that, that she needs to do more than what we originally said we were going to do, by saying that, that, that our, our marriage is, is stipulated, is conditioned on these things, I am undoing the, the vows that we made. I'm abandoning them. No wonder she would be appalled at it. And I know that's kind of a silly example, but I think it points us in the direction of the principle of what's happening in these Galatian churches. By, by adding to the gospel, by, by failing to recognize and believe and trust in the sufficiency of the gospel, by adding to it, they are effectively abandoning it. And Paul is frustrated. He's frustrated with the people. He's frustrated with the church because he cares for them and because he cares for the gospel. To fail to see the sufficiency of the gospel is to abandon the gospel. This is why one of the key words of the Protestant Reformation was the word sola. It's a Latin word. and In English, it translates only. So that's why we say there's uh, Scripture alone, right? Scripture only. Scripture alone. Grace alone. Faith alone. Christ alone. God's glory alone. Those are called the five solas of the Protestant Reformation. That word alone or sola has to do with sufficiency. We're saying the Scriptures alone are sufficient for our ultimate authority. It's, it's not just simply the scriptures, it's the scriptures alone. It's not just grace. It's not just that we believe in grace. Everyone believes in grace. We believe in grace alone for our right standing with God. How do we enter into a right relationship with God? How do we experience salvation? It's by grace alone. The grace is sufficient. It's, it's, not, it's not that we bring a little bit to the table and God brings a whole lot to the table. It's God brings everything to the table. We are saved by grace alone. How do we experience this grace, this gift that God has provided for us? How do we experience it? We experience it by faith alone. It's not by works. You know, it's not like we we do a little bit or we kind of get ourselves cleaned up. And that's how we experience God's grace. That's how we experience God's gift. It's, It's faith alone, simply by believing, simply by trusting, simply by throwing ourselves on on Christ and God's provision for us in Christ is how we are experience this grace. And it's it's the object of our faith is Christ alone, right? This faith is not a general optimism. This faith is not faith in Christ plus a little bit of this, this, or that. The object of our faith is Christ alone. He alone is our only means for experiencing a right relationship with God. This is not a small issue. This is a major issue. We're not saved by grace through faith in Christ. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Life and death are in the balance here. Life and death are at stake. This is, this is not a minor issue. This is a major issue. And this is the reason why Paul uses such strong language. Anyone who preaches to you a gospel contrary to this, anyone who adds or takes away anything from this gospel, Paul says, let him be accursed. This is not a minor issue. This is a major issue. There's two reasons why this is so startling as we read this text. One reason why this is so startling is that it happens quickly. Notice in verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you. It happens quickly. It happens overnight. It doesn't happen over hundreds of years. Paul's just planted the church. And within years, perhaps months, they're abandoning the gospel. Paul says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly abandoning the gospel. 
Another reason why this is startling is because it happens from within the church. This distortion arises from within the church. It's not coming from outside the church. It's coming from within. This is the same experience that Martin Luther had. The criticism that Martin Luther experienced and received was not from people outside the church. It was people inside the church. This abandoning of the gospel is not happening outside the church. It's happening within the church, right? That's what makes it so shocking. That's what makes it so startling. This was a problem in the first century. This was a problem in the 16th century. And this is a problem today. Abandoning the gospel. And so I want to say a couple words to you, Fellowship Bible Church Jacksonville. First of all, a word of encouragement. And then secondly, a word of warning. On the encouragement side, I want to encourage you that you are a church that that values the gospel, embraces the gospel, and believes in the gospel. I know you have historically. I know Jim Wilson pretty well, and I know your history. I know your roots. I know where you've come from, and I know you've been a church that has celebrated and embraced the gospel. And I know your, your present, and I know your future. I know the trajectory you're on. I know your leader, and I know you are a church that is valuing the gospel and embracing the gospel. And so I just want to say, way to go. Keep going. Keep it up. Keep valuing. Keep cherishing. Keep embracing the gospel. And now a word of warning. Even very good evangelical, conservative, gospel-centered, Bible-centered churches can go off the rails and can abandon the gospel. And so I want to encourage you to don't be relaxed on this. Don't become relaxed on it. Don't become apathetic. Don't become ho-hum toward the gospel. Oh, yeah, 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 we know, we know, we know. Keep singing about it. Keep singing about it with passion. Keep, keep, uh, hoping for it. Keep expecting it in, in the sermons, in the preaching. Keep, keep yearning for it. Keep talking about it in your ministries, in your home groups, in your small groups, in children's ministry, in youth ministry. Keep talking about the gospel. Don't get bored with the gospel. It is sufficient. The gospel is sufficient. It's enough. And that raises the question, sufficient for what? If we say the gospel is sufficient What is it sufficient for? I mean, there's other things we need. We need food, right? We need oxygen. We need water. What do we mean when we say the gospel is sufficient? I want to point out from Galatians a couple of ways in which the gospel is sufficient. First of all, the gospel is sufficient for our right standing with God. Look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. This is a very key verse in the book of Galatians and also in the Bible. He uses the word justified three times. What does that word mean, justified? To be justified means to be declared by God to be right with God, right? To be justified means you become on good terms with God. You become in a right relationship with God because God declares you to be in a right relationship with Him. See, the problem is we are not in a right relationship with God. Because of our sin, we are not on good terms with God. We are enemies of God. We are sinners of God, right? We are at war with God, and God's wrath is set against us. That's the problem. In fact, this is the problem that Martin Luther wrestled with. How do I become right with God? How does a sinner become right with a righteous God? Because in his day, in Martin Luther's day, what the church taught 
is that the way a sinner becomes right with God is God does most of it, but then you need to bring a little bit to the table. Maybe it's just 2 or 3%, but you need to bring something to the table. God can't do 100% of it, right? You need to do something. And Martin Luther was trying to, he was wrestling with this, but I can't. I can't even find 1% to bring to the table, right? And he, he was examining himself, and he was examining his heart. Even when I do good, it's not good. My attitude is wrong. Or, you know, and so he was wrestling with this. How can I muster up the energy, the strength, the goodness to bring 1% to the table? to add to God's 99% so I can have a right standing with God. And he wrestled with this, and he was reading the Bible, and in particular, he was reading Romans, and he was reading Galatians. And what he realized, when the light came on, he realized the gospel, which is God demands perfection. That's the bad news for us, because we are not perfect. God demands perfection. Here's the good news. God provides God provides the perfection that he requires. God provides what he requires of us. He supplies it for us. God demands perfect righteousness. God demands 100% perfect righteousness. That's a problem because I don't have that. So what's the solution to the problem? Here's the solution. God provides for us the perfect righteousness that he demands of us. What is that righteousness? Where does it come from? It is Christ alone. That's that's what we mean by grace alone. We are saved by grace alone. What does that mean? It means God provides everything for you. He gives it all. It's all a gift. It's a free gift of God. He provides the righteousness that he demands of you. That's what we mean by salvation, by grace alone. How do I experience that? How do I get that? Because that sounds great. He does 100% of the work. I do nothing. That sounds wonderful. How do I get that? You get it by faith alone. By trusting, depending, throwing yourself entirely on God's mercy in Christ, going to the cross and trusting Him by faith alone. And it's faith in Christ. That's why he says three times in this verse, we are justified by faith in Jesus Christ and not by works. The gospel is sufficient. Sufficient for what? It's sufficient for our right standing with God. How do we become right with a holy, righteous God? Through the gospel. My parents tell a funny story about me. When I was probably about five years old, we went on a family vacation and we went out west. We were going to California. In fact, we were going, I think, to Yosemite to see Half Dome, which is the image that we saw up here on the screen earlier in one of the songs we were singing. And on the way to California, we stopped at the Grand Canyon. It was one of our major stops along the way. And about the time we got there, we were driving in a 1982 Honda Civic standard and uh, no cruise control. And I'm sitting in the back seat. And my parents had an ice chest in the back seat. And about the time that we drove up to the Grand Canyon, I discovered, I realized that somehow I could sit on the ice chest in the back seat. And I thought that was really cool, right? Like, wow, this is awesome. I can sit on the ice chest in the back seat. And so this was a big discovery for me. I was excited about it. And then we pull up to the Grand Canyon. And keep in mind, we've been in the car for 1,260 miles and 20 hours, right? And my parents are thinking, okay, it's time to get out of the car. It's time to go see the Grand Canyon. We're here. We've arrived, right? So they say, okay, Chris, it's time to get out of the car. Let's go see the Grand Canyon. I didn't want to get out of the car because I loved this new discovery I'd made. I can sit on the ice chest in the back seat of the car. So I didn't want to get out of the car. I wanted to stay here. This is great. And my parents are saying, 
this is not what we've driven 20 hours for. You know, we've not driven 20 hours so you can sit on the ice chest. We've driven 20 hours to see the Grand Canyon, right? This is what we're here for. This is the point. This is why we're here, right? But I, no, but I want to sit on the ice chest. But this is what it's all about. It's about the Grand Canyon. And, 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 and Paul is saying in a similar way, you're missing the whole point. It's, it's, the whole point is about justification by faith alone. Martin Luther said this is the, the article upon which, the teaching upon which the church stands or falls. If we get this right, there's a sense in which we get everything right. If we get this wrong, there's a sense in which we get everything wrong. It doesn't matter how many things we get right if we get this wrong. Justification by faith alone. God provides what he requires in Christ, the way we experience this is by faith in Christ, by trusting him alone. This is everything. To miss this is to miss everything. The gospel is sufficient for our right standing with God. Let's talk about what difference this makes. What difference does this make for you, Fellowship Bible Church Jacksonville? First of all, I want to encourage you this morning to make sure you personally are trusting in Christ for your right standing with God. Make sure you are trusting in Christ for your salvation. It's very possible to grow up in church, to be around church, and yet to miss this, and therefore miss everything. And so I want to encourage you to examine yourself, examine your heart this morning, and ask, do you recognize that your fundamental problem is your sin which separates you from your Creator? And do you recognize, are you trusting, are you believing that God has solved the problem, your fundamental problem, by sending His Son to die on the cross and that his righteousness can be yours by faith. And therefore, a right standing with God can be yours if you will look to Christ and trust him and depend on him. I want to encourage you to do that this morning. Make sure you're trusting in Christ for your salvation this morning. Second of all, I want to encourage you to make sure you're sharing this message with others. Make sure this is your message and this is a message you are passionate about. So many times we get passionate about other things, secondary issues. And we miss the point. So I want to ask you this question this morning. Are you sitting on the ice chest in the back of the 1982 Honda Civic and getting really excited about that and missing the Grand Canyon? Are you missing the whole point? Are you missing what we're here for? Are you missing the whole message of Christianity, of the gospel, of the Bible, which is justification by faith alone? Are you missing it? for some other secondary issue. Make sure this is what you're passionate about. Make sure what you're passionate about is the gospel. Why? Because the gospel is sufficient for our right standing with God. Finally, I want to point out to you that the gospel is sufficient for our spiritual growth in Christ. If you would please turn to Galatians chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 2 and 3. Paul says, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? He asks a couple of rhetorical questions here. He's trying to make a point. His first question is, let me ask you this, church. When you received the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, at the beginning of your salvation... Did that happen as a result of something good that you did? Or did that happen as a result of you simply hearing the message of the gospel and responding with faith? And of course, it's a rhetorical question. And the answer is, we, we receive the Spirit by hearing and responding with faith. 
Paul says, okay. Now verse 3. Are you so foolish? <laughs> Once again, notice he's frustrated. And it's because he cares for them, right? He's not, he's not being mean here. He's, he, it's a pastoral care here. He's pastorally concerned for them. He's pastorally concerned for the gospel. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Here's the way the NIV translates it. After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? See, here's the second problem that the Galatians are experiencing. They're thinking that the gospel is sort of what initially got them in the door. The gospel is what initially saved them. But then once they got in the door, once they got saved, then they sort of moved on and graduated to bigger and better things. Right? The gospel is good to get us into the door, but once we're in the door, we kind of move on to bigger and better things. I can imagine some of these false teachers coming into the church after Paul has left and saying, hey, you know what, that guy Paul, he meant well. He meant well, but we're here to take you to the next level, right? He might have got you in, but we're here to take you to the next level. And, and Paul says to the church in Galatia, are you so foolish? The way that you grow up in Christ is the same way that you come to faith in Christ. This is very important. Listen to this. The way that you grow up in Christ is the same way that you come to faith in Christ. Let me explain what I mean. How do you come to faith in Christ originally? By hearing the word, hearing the gospel, responding with repentance, turning from sin, and turning with obedient faith and trusting in Christ. How do you grow up in Christ? Same way. You hear the word of God, you hear the gospel, you recognize your sin, you repent of your sin, you turn with obedient faith and trust in Christ and follow him as Lord. So we never grow up beyond the gospel. We never move beyond the gospel. We don't graduate to something bigger and better. I think one of the biggest mistakes that the evangelical church is making today is that we think of the gospel as being this ticket that gets us into the door, that gets us into the show. But then once we get into the show, we don't really need the ticket anymore, right? The ticket just sort of got us in the door. Now I'm in the show, I don't really need the ticket anymore. Take it or leave it. I'm here for the show. The problem with this thinking is the gospel is the ticket that gets us into the door, but the gospel is also the show, it is the show. The gospel is the beginning, the middle, and the end. The gospel doesn't merely get us in and then we move on to bigger and better things. The gospel is everything from beginning to end. This is why Paul says to the Corinthians, When I came to you, church, I desired to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The gospel is sufficient, not only for our right standing with God, but also for our growth in Christ, for our spiritual growth in Christ. I've run, in the past couple of years, I've run in a couple of half marathons. And my goal is to one day, I'd love to do a full marathon. I don't know if I'll ever make it to that goal or not. But I've been trying to get faster in running. So I'm trying to figure out a way to run faster. I'm not very fast. And I got online and did some reading. And, and one of the things that I came across and I discovered how to run faster, it shocked me and it stuck with me. And the reason why is because it's so simple, it's profound. But they said, the way you run faster is you run faster. You, you just go out and you run faster. And it sounds simple. It sounds easy. Of course, it's obvious, but it's really kind of a profound thought. You know, Next time I go run, I'm going to run a little faster. And then the next time I run, I'm going to run a little faster than that. And my body's going to learn to acclimate and build up to it. See, what I would think is that there's got to be some magical formula. 
Surely there's some pill I can take, or there's some magical exercise I can do, or I can get this person's video or read that book. There's got to be some kind of magical formula that nobody else knows about, and that's how I get faster. It's so much simpler than that. It's so much more obvious than that, right? The way you get faster is you run faster, right? How do you grow up in Christ? How do you become more mature, more spiritually mature in Christ? How do you become more like Christ? Surely there's got to be some magical formula, some key book out there that I can find and read that book, and that'll be the answer. Surely there's something I can do or something I can start doing or some Bible study I can do or some pill I can take. There's got to be some magical formula that nobody else knows about, and that'll be the way that I'll grow up in Christ. It's so much simpler than that. How do you grow up in Christ? The way you run faster is you run faster. The way you grow up in Christ is you simply go deeper in the gospel. And by going deeper in the gospel, by going deeper in Christ, you grow up in Christ. The gospel is sufficient for our growth in Christ. Let's talk real quickly about what difference this makes to you. Fellowship Bible Church Jacksonville. First of all, if you are stagnant in your faith... You look back and you say, I haven't really grown much over the past year, the past decade, the past five years. What what do you do? How do you get out of that stagnant stage? The answer is you go back to the gospel. You get it in you. You saturate yourself with the gospel, whether that's listening to gospel-oriented songs or whether that's reading gospel books or just talking about the gospel or listening online to sermons about the gospel. You do whatever you have to do to saturate yourself with the gospel until it melts you. You let it melt you so that you're motivated, so that you're compelled by it. If you're not motivated by the gospel to grow up in Christ, there's one of two problems. You either don't really understand it or you don't really believe it. And the solution to both of those problems is the same. You go back to the gospel and you just saturate yourself with it. So I want to encourage you to do that if you're stagnant this morning. Secondly, if you're struggling in life, you're struggling with finances, you're struggling with relationships, you're struggling with health, The gospel is sufficient for your problems. You you learn how to preach the gospel to yourself. You learn how to apply the gospel to yourself. If your problem is arrogance and pride, what do you do? You apply the gospel to yourself. And you let it humble you. You're reminded of my sin and my need and I do nothing and God provides everything. And that takes care of your sin problem, your pride problem, your arrogance problem. If your problem, on the other hand, is you're down here, you're down and out, you're depressed, you're anxious... You're struggling with, I don't have a purpose, I don't have a meaning, what do I do? What do you do? You apply the gospel to yourself and you remind yourself, I have everything I need in Christ. I'm seated with Christ in the heavenlies. God gave his one and only son so that I could become his son. God sacrificed his one and only son so we could become sons and daughters of God. You let that melt you, you let that motivate you, you saturate yourself with that until it compels you to live for the Lord. The gospel is sufficient. For our right standing with God, the gospel is sufficient for our growth in Christ. Let me ask you this question in closing. If Paul were to write you a letter individually, would he begin that letter in the same kind of way that he begins his letter to the Galatians? Would he say to you, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you and you're turning to another gospel which is really not a gospel at all? Or would he say to you, I thank my God every time I remember you and I'm grateful for you and I'm grateful for your committedness and your faithfulness to the gospel and therefore your committedness and faithfulness to Christ. I want to encourage you, church, 
Keep valuing, keep embracing, keep cherishing the gospel because it is sufficient. Let me pray for us.